Thank you for joining us today at River City Church, a church living in love. If you have a prayer need, would like to speak to a pastor, or have questions about today's message, please email us at info at rivercitysmyrna.com. For more information or to give to the ministries of River City Church, please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. God. scripture and I would actually like to read this together out loud so we're gonna switch it up a little bit um, so I will lead you um, but let's read this out there's something about having all our voices together that I really love and I feel like in a worship service you guys do a lot of like sit stand sit stand um, and other than meet and greet there's not a lot of engagement that we can have together and this is one of those opportunities. So I love this when we can all have a voice. So let's read Psalm 66 from the lectionary, verses 8 through 20. Bless our God, O peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard, who has kept our soul among the living and has not let our feet slip. For you, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. You brought us into the net. You laid a crushing burden on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water. Yet you have brought us out to a place of abundance. I will come into your house with burnt offerings. I will perform my vows to you. That which my lips uttered and my mouth promised when I was in trouble. I will offer to you burnt offerings of fattened animals with the smoke of the sacrifice of rams. I will make an offering of bulls and goats, Selah. Come and hear all you who fear God, and I will tell what he has done for my soul. I cried to him with my mouth, and high praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But truly, God has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, because he has not rejected my prayer or removed his steadfast love for me. Oh, you have not removed your steadfast love from us, God. And even in those moments where we feel we are being crushed and we might assume it's you behind it, when the pressure weighs heavy, when life is just hard, 
your steadfast love has not left us. And God, no matter what doubts we have, how our faith weakens, how we struggle, how we trudge through the mud, let us return to this truth. God is love. And you have loved us with an everlasting love. And may that truth be what refreshes our soul today. In Jesus' name. And God, what makes you so holy, so set apart, so unique, so unlike any other is this great love you have for us. A love that would motivate you to take on flesh, to mingle with the poorest of the poor, to break bread with the most low and the most broken and the most unfit for society that you would enter into the very suffering that we experience, the very evil that we encounter in this world, that you would take on the most deepest pain and anguish emotionally, mentally, physically, and spiritually so that we could say there is a God who knows what it's like. There is a God who knows what it's like to put on flesh and be broken. So when we stand in our suffering and in our brokenness and in our pain, you know and have been there. And you have endured. And the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead has lifted us up this morning, will continue to lift us up, and one day by faith will lift us up for eternity. We thank you for this great love. Because without this love, none of this happens. Incarnation doesn't happen. Death doesn't happen. Resurrection doesn't happen. Return doesn't happen. So we are grateful for your love. And we say there is no God like you. Thank you, God, for your love. Thank you for your love. It may not always translate in ways we understand, but we believe it to be true. We believe it to be real. In Jesus' name, amen. And I just believe that God wants you to know that you are loved. You are loved. You are loved. And if you have come in here this morning with some sense of not good enough, hear that you are deeply and recklessly loved. And may this be a place and a community that can mirror that, that can overflow that. Yes? Amen. So today we're just going to continue on in Mark. I'm not going to speak forever. I'm going to do my best to get you guys out of here before you miss your last lunch that you'll ever have. The last supper or lunch. Um, so today I'm going to be preaching from Mark. We've been doing that. We've been walking through this book and... Um, I think if I notice anything so far about the travel through it, it's that it's pretty fast-paced. And if you're a strategist or a leadership guru, like most people around churches have someone near them that does that because we think that we need the strongest leadership ever to do everything. 
And a lot of us just really need to throw ourselves on Jesus and obey him moment by moment. And what you see in these passages are this like right now for this person kind of intent. You don't hear actually a lot of strategy, right? There's not like, guys, here's the plan we're going towards. I know he has one. I know the Bible says that where there's no vision, the people will perish. I'm not saying Jesus didn't have a vision. I'm saying he wasn't sharing it with people. He was just asking people to trust whatever moment he was in. And whoever or wherever he was, was the most important thing to him at the time. And you could see that in the way that he acted with everybody. It was like the full measure of all of Jesus was available at every moment for whoever he was with. He wasn't trying to just give this guy a little bit so he could get over here. And he actually had an important thing to go towards, right? Like dying on the cross for us. But he seems to always stop and always have that heart time for each person, each community. In this passage, he's now traveling back over the lake. Last week we talked about he was on that side of the lake. And this is why he goes to this region. Decapolis, he gets off a boat. A man full of 2,000 demons comes and finds him. He frees the man full of 2,000 demons and sends him alone to 10 cities and then gets back in a boat and goes back. So his whole reason for going to Decapolis was to be almost attacked by a demoniac to then put him in his right mind and give him a purpose to send him, and then he just leaves. That's like his, isn't that crazy? He, and it's, like, it's not like a little lake, like here in, in almost said Canton, it's not Canton, but here in Smyrna, it's like an eight mile by 15 mile lake. So he travels over there just for a demoniac, comes back, and so simultaneously while I'm reading this, imagine a demoniac running through cities super pumped about not being a demoniac and people having to deal with it. But also given the liberty to go and tell the story about Jesus, which on this side of the lake, people are not allowed to do yet, right? So I thought about you instantly, Blake, like, you got to know what side of the lake you on, you're on when you're sharing the gospel. There's one side of the lake where he tells somebody, go tell them everything I just did. And there's another side of the lake where he says, don't say anything about this. Not because he's going to water down the gospel, right? So every time you don't say exactly the truth doesn't mean that you're watering down the gospel, right? Maybe sometimes it actually means you actually have more wisdom than people would think. Maybe you care more about whoever you're in front of than just saying the hard truth, right? Maybe you're like Jesus, and you can pray before you enter any situation and need him to show you what you need to do in each. Instead of just thinking, I'm going to do what I did for the demoniac over here because he would be killed too soon over here and wouldn't have these interactions. Not because he's watering down, but because he actually loves more. Does that make sense? So so a person... I didn't want to use this, but I'm going to use it. There's a certain preacher who got on CNN one time, and they asked him, so you're saying this is sin, and he wouldn't answer the question. And afterwards, people were like, he wouldn't, he wouldn't answer the question. He's not a true believer. And to me, if you could answer the Bible in one answered statement on CNN, I thought he was using wisdom. Did he, did he say the truth? He didn't say the specific truth they were asking, but maybe he cares more about who he's trying to reach. Does it mean he's watering it down and trying to give everybody a, a popsicle? Like, that's their Jesus? Here's your popsicle. You go eat it and you have a good day. And smack him on the, the bottom and send him on his way. No. Gee, what, what I've seen so far in Mark, Jesus cares more about people than we do. 
and he sees to a deeper level of their depth and speaks into areas that we wouldn't normally speak into. He gives them graces we wouldn't give them. He looks at us and he speaks into areas we didn't see coming. He says no to us when we know that we need a yes. He says yes when we're like, what? Not yet. Not yet. He tells the demoniac, don't spend time with me. That's theologically messed up. For someone to approach Jesus and ask, can I be with you? And him say, no, you cannot be with me. You go tell the story. So he, he has this wisdom we don't have. So when I read this pas- when I read any of these passages, I'm always baffled by the stories because there's so much that's crazy, just crazy stuff. But it depends so much on Jesus being present in each situation. There's no story in Mark that Jesus is not the central figure in, right? So if we read anything when we read the Gospels, we've got to know that he is still the center of every story. The story is not about us. The story is not about your profession or what you're going to become or your calling. He is at the center of every conversation, every job, everything that we would do would be about him. And if not, then we're not living out the gospel if he is not at the center of it. So today, chaotic pace. Where's my book somewhere? Where's my book? Oh, there it is. No. I'm freaking out. Okay, here it is right here. I do that pretty much every Sunday. It's awesome. So I want to pray real quick. And I want, to, I want to ask you to close your eyes. And I don't want you to feel any pressure today. And, I'm, and I pray against any boredom that happens when preaching happens because Lord knows I've been bored to death in sermons before. My prayer today is that you would be available to the Father. So close your eyes. Imagine, if you will, that 100% of Jesus is in this room for you right now. Not 30%, not the kind of important. Every part of Jesus is right now in this room asking you if he can be with you. And every one of us are different. Every single one of us have a different need, have a different desire, have a different hope, have a different burden. Every one of us can label a burden right now that is painful to deal with. Every one of us. So you present yourself, like it says in Romans 12, I've mentioned that three times today, as a living sacrifice to a trustworthy, awesomely loving, humble king, one who serves, one who cares about the poor, king. That's who we present ourselves to. And then we see in his eyes the kindness to say, I've been waiting for you to do this. I wasn't going to make you, but now that you have... Watch what, what can happen. That's the Jesus in this room for you right now. We thank you for that, Jesus. God, we just thank you so much. So you can open your eyes. If you can pull up Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 43. This will be our main text for today. I'm going to read it for you. Okay, remember, just got back in the boat. He had to leave. The people of the city did not want him still over there because he had just made people good and done good things. So, of course, he needs to leave. And when Jesus had crossed again into the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. 
And he came with him, and a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and who had suffered much under many physicians, and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, this is just like a little bit rude. Like the tone to me is like, you, it's like you, see, you see the crowd, right, Jesus? You're not an idiot, right? Okay. You see them pressing in about you, and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, and he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, now this is, they're speaking to Jairus now. Jairus, your daughter is dead. And they don't even care that they're telling him that. They're just like, please stop troubling Jesus. But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, so he doesn't even interact with them. He just looks at him and says, do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except for Peter and James and John and the, to the house of the ruler of the synagogue. And Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And instantly from weeping and wailing to laughter, which points to the superficiality of what's happening. They start laughing at him, but he put, put them all outside. He's like, all right, you can laugh. You're going out. 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 Like you say to your kids, out of here. He put them out, and they took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, and this is actually the words that Jesus said. It's not even in the... So Mark translates, there's something about that statement that he doesn't even put it in the language that the Bible, would, he, he keeps it in the original because it's so moving to him, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. And to celebrate doing something awesome, he strictly charged them that no one should know this, right? Back on this side of the lake, let's keep hidden. And told them to give her something to eat, right? <laughs> Which I love just the practical part of that. Like, it's not always spiritual. Like, I'm, I'm used to meet with a guy that was only spiritual. Every conversation, he's going to listen to this too. And he's going to laugh right now. Because every conversation we ever had was so spiritually minded that you, I would literally catch him at lunch. And he would be, he would hold, he would put food on his fork. And he would hold it there for 30 minutes. And I would literally be like, Bro, you just need to eat your food right now. We're going to talk about Jesus a lot. It's going to be good. 
just, I love that Jesus just says, get her something to eat, you know, like just knowing that he cares enough about those things too is really important about our Savior. So I'm just going to jump into a couple things here and then we're going to do some prayer. Um, Desperation is what's like motivating people in this chapter. And I've been desperate before. I've been desperate just as a human. I remember being on a beach when I was younger, um, maybe 14, 15. I think I've shared this story. And wading out too far, and the water underneath was pulling me out. And I was, I was unable to get to where the shore was. And literally, I, there was no way I was swimming back in. And I was like, I wasn't just a boy. I was like 14 or 15. And I remember thinking in my mind, I'm literally about to die. And in my mind, I was like, all right. So I started screaming. I was like, help, help, help. Nobody heard me. Nothing happened. I'm, and I'm at that point. And it's a scary point when you're like, I'm, I'm about to go under. And like there's a part of me that's like, okay. And as soon as I get to that point, <laughs> I stand and I'm like this high up. I promise. <laughs> so, but I wasn't before. So did God move the world a little bit? Was he like, <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Jesus. I think he did. It could have happened. But I do know that I was scared to the point of, I'm about to do dumb things because I'm that scared. I'm that desperate, right? Like, we get that way in life. I've, I've been desperate many times. I remember drug addiction creating a desperation in me that that's not even, it wouldn't even be neat to talk about. It would just be gross and uncomfortable for everybody. You know, and, and in this story, like, I can't think of anything more powerful than Jarius, a 12-year-old daughter. I mean, I have kids. They've not been behaving today specifically, but... When you want to talk about the deepest kind of love there is that would motivate the love of a parent, and I've been a kid, and so I love my parents, right? But that's not reciprocal, right? There's definitely a stronger love coming up, coming down than up. And you know that just by your family dynamic and whoever's above you and below you. I would, I would give everything up for my kids. I would get, get rid of my house. I'd live over there under a bush if I needed to. For my parents, and some of them are in the room, I'm not sure that I would, I mean, I love you guys. I think you're going to be okay, though. But the motivating factor behind Jerry's is he has a 12-year-old daughter who is in the process of dying, and so that throws him, because he has a lot at risk, right? He's one of the helpers in the synagogue, so just the act that he would be anywhere near Jesus, he just sacrificed his whole career. So he didn't care. He sacrificed everything. And not only that, when he starts to interact with Jesus, Jesus doesn't even talk to him. Jesus is like, walk with me. Okay, I'll walk with you. And then I start to think, I wonder if in Jesus, like the disciples are starting to think, he's hanging out with an important guy, Jarius. Maybe, maybe like he's becoming big time now. Maybe he's going to be speaking at Catalyst soon. <laughs> maybe Jesus is on his way, you know. Jesus doesn't care who it is. Because... In the middle of the walk with Jesus to his daughter, a woman interrupts that thing. And when I read the story, it didn't click to me. But Jarius is walking with Jesus on the way to his dying daughter who would die any moment. And a woman with the issue of blood interrupts it. And I'm not saying she's wrong, but I'm saying if I'm Jarius, my my care for that woman is like, you're going to have to hurry up. I want you to be healed. But my 12-year-old girl is dying right now. Jesus stops everything, right? There's something about this that I haven't theologically figured out yet, but there's something really strong here. 
that as you begin to walk with Jesus, there are going to be things that happen that don't make sense in relation to what's happening and what you think should be happening. Because what does he need more than his daughter to be healed? And to add insult to injury, as soon as the lady is done being healed, someone steps up from his house and says, Hey, Jarius, your daughter's dead. So now, not only did he have to interrupt his walk with Jesus to heal his daughter, and Jesus stops, I'm probably playing the blame game at this point with Jesus. Like, you kidding me, dude? My daughter's 12. This woman is at least 12 because she's had that issue for 12 years, plus some, and she's probably been in this spot for a bad reason, and she's ceremonial unclean, so what the heck, dude? Like, there's so many moments when we're walking with Jesus, and he's not even speaking as of yet, like he is to her, that don't make sense because we're not the only important thing on the world, right? We're not, the, we're not the only important thing happening, right? Even when it's the most important thing to us. So I love that Jesus has patience for this woman, and I love, doesn't make sense at first glance, that he looks at her and he says, daughter, your faith has made you whole. There were some beliefs in this culture that if you could touch the hem of somebody's garment, or if you could, superstition would say you could be healed. I kind of believe when he's touched, he feels the power go out of him, he needed to clarify with her. This is not about superstition, homegirl. This is not because you just touched the hem of someone's garment. So he stops everything, and his disciples are like, seriously, bro? There's like a thousand people here. No, someone touched me. Someone touched me differently. And something came out of me when they touched me, and it was a response to the faith that that person had. So he had to clarify to everyone, daughter, your faith, your faith, not your superstition, not some ritualistic act, just made you whole because your faith was in me. And faith in Jesus is what makes us children. So he calls her daughter, right? That's, there's a lot there. And I don't know how this works. I wish I did because it would be super cool to preach. But in the instant when someone who is 12 year old, 12 years old is dying and pronounced dead, is the same instant that someone comes to life in the kingdom. And they both said 12 years. Oh my gosh. <laughs> right there. I don't know what that means, but I feel like there's something in there that the death and the life, and he calls this one daughter, and why not the 12 year old daughter? Right? Like, why is he calling the older one daughter? Not the, ah! There's something there, right? Like, so he makes this person, he gives this person a new name, and then he only allows three of his disciples to go. You know, and I think this is important. He tells the professional mourners, which is what they were paid to do, that's why they were making a commotion, is because you would literally hire a team of people to come wail. Like, that's not a lot of, like, prep to do that job. And flute players. And so that's why when he says... Guys, she's sleeping. She's not dead. They're like, ha, 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 ha. They go from crying, like my daughter does, to straight up laughter. I'm like, see, that's how I know it's fake. Because you were, you were crying, and you were for real, but now you're laughing. So that's a lie. So I don't care about anything you just said. But Jesus doesn't say that. Today. He will actually does. He says, you know what, guys? You're going to have to leave. You were wailing. It wasn't real, because you were paid to. You know, and I think the, what I get out of this, like, of course, Jesus has three, three people that end up being closer to him in the long run. That's humbling and painful and pride-breaking, maybe for some of them. For me, it would be. And, 
and the parents, so there's five people that get to see what he's about to do. Like, there's five people that get to stick around. Everybody else has to leave. And it just makes me think, like, there's people that are a part of our households that aren't our family, right? And when, when you're in a desperate situation, you need to be protective of who you have speaking into those deep places, right? Like, this person is in a desperate situation, really needing the wisdom of Jesus. And so he sends all of the nonsense, the noise, away And he narrows it down to even people who are good people, other disciples. According to the next chapter, these other nine people are also about to become disciples. Sends them away. Because when those moments happen in our lives, we need to be selective about the people speaking in. We need to make sure they're family and not just from the house. Because there's a difference, right? The people from his house, your daughter's dead. Thanks, guys. Appreciate that. Awesome. Jesus is like, no. Family speaking into him. No, 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 no. Listen, you just stay with me and believe. We'll just believe together. I'm going to send all these jokers away. Your mama, me, and three of my dudes are coming. We're about to see this person healed. Is that good? That's so good to me. So I'm not going to read you Ecclesiastes 4, 1 through 12, but you should read that at some point. It's really good. The woman, her desperation, okay, this desperation to me is not as strong, even though it's awful and brutal. So one of my kids is in a bad spot, I'll do anything, anything. If I'm in a personal bad spot, her sickness for 12 years, which is awful, has gotten her to a space where she's seen all the doctors she can see, nobody's helped her, she's even worse. So she's heard that Jesus can help her. Her desperation to be better has thrown her into Jesus' lap. And so she interrupts another one of Jesus' on the way to miracles, throws herself on the ground, and touches him, and he knows that something's gone out of him. He stops to clarify, it's your faith, not your superstition. And he has personal contact with her. Personal contact with her. Calls her daughter. Calls her daughter, and not until she knows she's a daughter does she spill the beans. She's still in fear and trembling, even after knowing God has healed her. Knows she's daughter. She sits down and tells him the whole story. All of these things would make her have to leave her home and go outside of the camp and be away from community. And she becomes whole. And he gives her a title, Talithia Kuma. I don't even, child, stand up. Yeah. And so, there's so much here. If every person that touches Jesus in this passage leaves Jesus with peace, with identity, and he's even caring about the practical stuff, right? Like, in the presence of Jesus. And I love the story about Jairus because it paints us kind of a type picture of how God approaches you and us When it talks about Jesus as father, right? He's not just brother. He doesn't talk about he's our son because it's a different kind of love. A father to a kid, right? My kids know that they are secure in me. Even when Noah shows up freaking out about a football. Today that happened. A father's love is how he approaches the world. All of us are his 12-year-old girls, children. All of us. All of us are that child on our way to death. All of us he is pleading for and fighting for and would do anything for, even sacrifice his position in heaven, in purity, to put on flesh, become fully man, fully God, to be on earth, to be crucified, to be beaten, to be made fun of, to be scorned. Because he's just like Jairus, he will do whatever he has to do for you to be with him. Whatever he has to do. And so he comes after you. 
And that's the, that's, that's, the, that's a parent's love. So to me, it's like, man, like if that's who Jesus is, then we all want him, right? If you know, if you had good parents, like some of us didn't have great parents, I understand. But if you had good parents, he's way better than those parents. And you can do dumb stuff and still be loved. He doesn't want you to stay in dumb stuff, right? He's not... But you can be a kid and grow, and that's how he approaches his interaction with you. And so today, like his full measure of his time with you, like it was through these passages, what is he doing in your life? If it's just something that somebody repeated or something you got to do because you learned it or whatever, slow down enough to throw yourself at his feet and listen to what he's saying to you. He is our father. He's a good, good father, right? I love this passage. There's so much here. I feel like I miss so much every week, but I trust the Holy Spirit to speak to you what you need from Him. Your faith in God makes you a child. Your faith in God makes you a child. I'm not asking you to convince me that He is real. That's not faith. I'm not asking you for proof through science. I'm not asking you if creation was real or not. I'm saying your faith in God makes you a child of God. And faith exists when you don't see the end. So there's a way to have faith and not see it all. Just your faith in God makes you daughter and son. All you have, that's so crazy to me. I've heard messages preached like this and I've been like, man, there's some error in that. There's more. But we come as little children to him with faith like children And we receive a new identity in Christ as his children. And he calls us sons and daughters. And it has to come first. And then when you hear that, you'll open up to anybody. I don't care. You ask me anything, guys. Like, what's anybody going to take away from us if we're secure in him? What can be taken away from us? Right? He calls you daughter or son if you have faith in him. Not because you believe correctly. You've got to believe to understand and know. But because your faith says that he is more than the world says, you are sons and daughters. I love that. Just a prayer over you guys and then we're going to do some prayer. I feel like this passage shows me why the church needs so many mothers and fathers. Right? It's good to call ourselves brothers and sisters. And we need brothers and sisters in Christ. But mothers and fathers love differently than brothers or sisters. I'm pretty sure most of our brothers and sisters would have killed us in childhood. Your mom and dad would not have, right? We need mothers and fathers in the faith. Spiritual children in this room. There are spiritual children in this room who are over 50 years old. You've never had a spiritual mother or father. There are toddlers who are old. There are spiritual parents in this room. I'm just, can I just say hard stuff today? Can I just say it like, can I just not water it down? <laughs> so I said that. Some of you guys get over your stuff. Pour into people. Quit waiting for everything to be given to you. Like, you're adults. If you're spiritually adult and you already know what every church should be doing, then you should be the best parents in the world, right? If you're still mad at everybody for everything everybody ever did, it's time to grow up. It's me sitting down with my three kids. I'm like, but what did you do? But what did you do? She did this, and she, but what did you do? No, but she did this. If you're still in the she did this, he did this phase, it's time to move on, Okay? Because everybody did everything. Just, a, just some forewarning. Including you, right? 
We need spiritual parents. We need them floating around. We need them jumping into kids' lives. You don't need to wait on me to be everybody's spiritual parent. I don't know if you noticed, but I'm 39 years old. I'm barely like doing this good, kind of. I need all of you. Like, I need all of you. Like, I'm not the wisest person in this room by far. All of you can spiritually parent someone, somewhere, somehow. Quit waiting to be fed. Quit waiting for someone to say the right thing. Because really, even that is more about just what you agree with, and then you clap. Just parent people. Just love people. Just give people grace like parents do kids. Right? Oh, that was a lot on that. I'm going to move on. Are y'all going to move on after that? <laughs> so, I do feel I, feel, I feel like I want to pray for three things. One of them is so random that I'm just going to do it and... I'm believing the Lord is speaking into that. Two of them, I think, are very important. And the first one is, is your heart in a similar spot to Jarius where you are yearning and aching for someone that you love and you cannot do it on your own? You are heart crying. Like, it's at its end. You have nothing you can do anymore. And if Jesus doesn't do it, it's not getting done. Does that make sense? Is that in your heart for anyone, okay? If that is in your heart for anyone, I want some prayer people over here. That's where you're going. If you're yearning and broken for someone and you would sell all you have to help them, you would do whatever it can to help them. You're going to be over here with people praying over here. So Linda and Lance and Jane, anybody that can be over there to help them. Number two, so the woman with the issue of blood is happening within herself, and she can definitely not control it. And the systems around her have been failing her. She's broke because of it. Like, she can do nothing. She's willing to try superstition. She's willing to throw herself at a dude. She's willing to break the law. Like, as the, do you, I mean, maybe you have an actual issue with blood. We could pray over that, too. I'm not saying that's not it, but I feel like it's more of a metaphor right now. Is there something in you that has been an internal struggle for years and years and years, and you do not know how to get, you feel like you've gotten worse, like you still exist as a human, but like it's just getting worse for you. Whatever it may be, don't limit yourself. If it's within you and you just wish, gosh, I want to be free from this, totally free would be so good, like, like she did when she was free from it, like that response, like something just happened to me, like, and Jesus knows something happened, something leaves him, goes... And then they have this conversation, and then she's right, like she's good. If that is you, anybody, I'm, I'm not looking over here because I feel like it's y'all. I'm just, because they're going to be over there. Maybe some of y'all need to come over here. Prayer people over here, for any of those people, just clarity. Inside you, something going on, anything, we're going to pray for healing over there. And then the third group is the weirdest group ever. I don't know why this is, this, this is what's on my mind, and I believe Jesus is going to do something with it. And it's lunchtime, guys, so like Jesus left the well and left his food at the well. I think maybe, maybe some of you need to leave your food at the well. Right up here on front. Okay. And this, I have the picture of younger people, young couples, people pregnant, people trying to get pregnant, people to trying to decide if they're getting married. Like that group, that's a ton of people. Anybody like younger, like we're getting married, we're happy, we want to have kids, we can't have kids. Um, these big young life, big, those, does that make sense? Clarity on that? No? <laughs> All right. Anybody that feels like that just smacked you in the heart, right? Like did that. Then up here, uh, are, you, are Justin and Lita, are you guys on prayer team today? Uh, could, would you mind praying up front for those 
young couples, young people praying about getting married, having kids, all that stuff. Um, and, and worship people come up now for me, please. Say again? I don't. I think you can probably tell that if you come pray with me. So, <laughs> If anybody has breath mints for Justin, that's probably, you're probably doing a solid. Yeah. It's going to be a much more powerful prayer. Because that is the worst thing to happen in life, is when you're prayed for by somebody and their breath stinks and you're trying to like time it where you don't throw up. So we don't want that to happen to you. It's happened to me before. Swallow it. All right, so here's what's going to happen. As of right now, Sarah, you, so right, I'm doing it so differently than I usually do it, which is always, um, we want to create a setting in here where people don't feel like they have to rush if they need to receive something, okay? So if you feel like you just got to have a conversation with somebody, just pull them outside for a little bit. In this space, let's just give room for the Holy Spirit to speak and work on people. Does that make sense? So create a space, create your own space, pretend like a giant Jesus is here, and we can all throw ourselves at his feet and just come clean with whatever. That's who's here. So Father, um, I just say thank you that you love better than anyone. You love better than anyone. You, you meet Jarius, who is an actual enemy, and you don't even bring it up. You're just like, yeah, dude, let's walk together to go heal her. You meet someone who is unclean and defiled and and you love that they stopped the crowd for you to be with them. Like, that's the, you're so good. You're better than anything that we have ever imagined or tasted or seen. So today in this moment, Father, as you stir our hearts, let us throw ourselves onto you and not away from you. And if we need to be pleading for someone else's case that can't, that's like a daughter in a bed dying that can't come to you, we ask that you would stir our compassionate heart to love in that way. Bring your presence, God. Let this be a holy time. Let this be a time where we can rest in your presence and be at peace. And I pray over every person with your eyes closed that needs prayer and they know, not, I'm not trying to convince anybody to be prayed for that doesn't want it, but the ones that know that they need prayer, I pray for boldness and confidence like you gave the girl to throw herself and touch the hem. And just in the act of the faith that you would respond with what's needed. I pray for that today in Jesus' name. So, Father, we just thank you today for every good gift. We thank you for another day to be alive. This day is a gift. All of it. The person we're sitting next to is a gift. Breath is a gift. All of it. We just thank, thank you, Father. I thank you for this community, and I pray that you would send us well this week. In your presence, we go. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for joining us today, and please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com.